0: Good morning, Cross Point. So good to have you guys here this morning, children, you can be released for children 's church, and then if the rest of you will grab uh, the Scripture Journal as we continue in our study through First John. So as Anthony had said, like we have these scripture journals available for you. These are not just books written by some random author that we go through. like this is one of the books of the Bible. We believe that that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, that it's profitable for us, it's, it's perfect and without error, it, it teaches us in the way that we should walk, it brings conviction and admonishment when we get off track, it, it speaks into what it looks like to correct and to walk in the path of righteousness as we follow Jesus together. And so if you will, if you'll turn to page 12 in the Scripture Journal, we're going to be today in 1 John chapter 2 beginning in verse 28 this morning. And, and if you remember just kind of the context, this book of the Bible was written by a man named John. He's late in his years. He's currently most likely in exile. He's going to write. You're going to hear him use these phrases like little children. He's writing to the church as a grandfather in many ways, caring for children who are hurting, children who are wounded, like they've been through something. There's a pain that that the people who were initially receiving these words had experienced as they have felt the rejection of others, as they felt the pressure from culture, the the pressure from friends who have walked away from the faith. And he's writing to them out of compassion. And, And he has these two themes of that God is light and that God is love. Because there's a concern in the midst of the difficulties of life, bitterness can take root. We, we begin to protect ourselves. We begin to, to ask these questions of, 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 who am I? Where do I belong? These deep questions of longing, and, and John has pointed them to that Jesus is the light, to walk in the light, that we don't just follow a path, we follow a person is one of the things that you've heard us talk about. We don't just follow a path of right and wrong and call that walking in the light. We follow the person of Jesus Christ who is light and is righteousness, and we're walking with him through the difficulties, through the challenges of life. We've heard him say that Jesus is our advocate. He's the one who stands in our defense against the accuser who would lie to us and speak condemnation. But he's also our substitute. That before the righteous judge of God, we know that we have fallen short of perfection. And even the judgment we do deserve. He's saying Jesus took that. And so it's this call that, that last week what we heard that the weighty words that Jesus is the only way. Don't fall into the deception of those who are anti-Jesus, who are speaking against that. Trust in Christ, in Christ alone because there is no other way. And now we're going to hear John follow up with this warm encouragement of what it means to To abide. To understand as a follower of Jesus Christ who you are in your identity. To understand where you belong in the midst of the rejection of the world and everything else. Where is our acceptance? Where is our belonging? These deep longings that we all feel. At the beginning, like this isn't just some random author's words, like these are the words of God. And so as we come and as we read them and as we walk through this passage, I don't want us to assume that we can understand these words with mere human understanding. Or even in in what I say, like I feel my strength is lacking beneath the weight of God's Word. Like I think there's a humility as we read God's Word, that we come to it and we ask, God, would you help me to see what your word says. Would you help me to understand and be changed by the power of your words? Not in my own understanding, not in just what you hear me say this morning, but that by his spirit, his word would weigh heavy on our hearts and bring both conviction and courage and comfort this morning. So if you will stand with me, I want us to pray together and then read the passage. Lord, I thank you that we can gather together as a a church family, Lord, to, to read your word publicly, to stand beneath the authority of your word. Lord, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, to both understand your truth, but also to know it, to experience it. Lord, that the affections of our heart would be stirred, not just in a cognitive understanding. Lord, but give us both understanding and experience of the beauty of your word this morning. Lord, would you move? Would you speak? And in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the passage and then you can be seated. I like the idea of standing together for the reading of God's word. In history, what typically happened is you would read God's word standing because that has authority. And then the speaker himself would also sit because it was symbolic of sitting under the weight of God's word. And so it's this symbolic representation that what God's word says has the authority. What I say needs to come under God's word. So let's look at this together. Chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. And now... Little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him, beloved. We are God's children now, and we will not be, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. This is God's word. You can be seated. I want us to, to hear that in, in verse 28. And now little children abide in him. One of these words I'm familiar with, but I want us to think about what it means. How would you describe a tree in the woods that has no roots? Is it standing up? laying down it's laying down it is is it alive or is it dead it's dead there there's no leaves on the tree there's no fruit bearing it's a log a tree without roots is a log right It, it makes sense like we don't think much of it but how would you describe a tree with roots planted next to a stream Leaves are flourishing. Fruit is is on the tree in its right season. What would you call that? Psalm 1 would call it blessed. Would call it wisdom. Would call it abiding. A tree that has roots. And when the wind blows, it stands firm because its roots are helping it stand beneath the circumstances. This is what abiding means. This is what I want you to have in your mind's eye. There's the log laying on the ground, and then there is the tree with roots going deep into the ground. Now, how does the tree grow? How does it move from a sapling to this mature, majestic tree? Does it go for a run, sign up for a marathon, jump from one stream to the next no like that would be foolish you're like these are dumb questions like it makes perfect sense in our mind doesn't it that the tree its roots are going to go down it's going to drink from this stream of life and it's going to grow and mature and as it matures it's going to produce broader branches more fruit as its roots sink deeper This is the same idea when it says abide in Him of what it means for the Christian. See, we can think of all the things that we're supposed to do. I'm going to sign up for a spiritual marathon. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to jump from this church to that church to that church and, and get fed so I can grow mature, right? But what it's saying is how Christians mature is by its roots sinking deep into the stream of a life who we've already seen previously in 1 John is Jesus. He is life. He is eternal life. Not just something in the future, but present. This is what it means. And so the the question is, when we look at what this means to abide, and now, little children, abide in Him. Before we just continue on and assume what it means, and that it's happening, I think there is the question, like, where are you planting the roots of your life? Like, what, what are you planting your roots in? Are you just a log, just dead in the woods, no roots, not just, not there? Or if you're rooted, are you, are you rooted in the desert, or are you rooted next to streams of life? Because here's why I ask that. This is what John himself has been talking about. Right, if you look back to chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, it's like don't look to the things of the world. Don't let your roots sink down into the things of this world, to just the things you desire in your flesh. Sexual pleasure, entertainment, comfort. Don't look to things that, that are just physical. Don't look to the desires of your eyes. Entertainment. Just finding comfort in whatever you can see, whatever experiences you can have. Don't look to the things of the world and in the pride of life, letting the roots of your life, of your identity and belonging come from your degrees and your accomplishments and your promotions and your identity at work. Don't let your roots sink deep into the things of the world. He's already told us to beware of that. Then last week we've heard him say, beware, don't let your roots sink down into the deceptive lies of those who are opposed to Christ. Like, beware of where you plant your roots. And here we see John coming back to say, abide in Him. Rest in Him. This is the hope. This is what it means to be rooted in him, to remain in him, to stay. It it often has this this military term, this sense of to remain, to stay, as enemy forces are advancing. It's staying, it's remaining, it's abiding, holding your position. In the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of the temptations, of the midst of the things that, that come against remain abide in him and in a moment we're going to see john tell us what we're abiding in there's a truth that john is going to encourage us for for the roots of our life to drink from but before he's going to tell us what that truth is he's going to tell us why why we should abide and we see this right in there in, in um Verse 28 in chapter 2, abide in him, so that that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink, uh, shrink from him in shame at his coming. Remember last week we talked about what the last hour means? That in the story of God's redemptive history throughout human history, there was the promise of a Savior who would come, and He came in the person of Jesus Christ. The only thing left in the story of redemption is the end, for Christ to return. It is the last hour. We, we said that, that in the, the, the storybook of human history, we are in the last chapter. If, if human history was a single day, we would be in the last hour. Christ's return is imminent. And it's saying, imagine. Imagine if you abide. Imagine if you're holding fast. Temptation's coming. The culture's coming. There's confusion. There's rejection. There's bitterness that has come against you. There are the sins of others that have come against you. You've seen your own failings over the years, but you're holding fast. You're abiding in Him. And then we walk outside this afternoon and the clouds part, and Christ descends, coming victorious on a white horse. Everything you've hoped for, everything you've clung to is visible, and we see Him approaching. What do you feel in that moment? See, to the person who's been abiding, to the person who's been drinking deep from the stream of eternal life, to the one who has placed their hope and trust resolutely in Christ and not the world. When he sees Christ coming, there's going to be a joy and a confidence. Thank God. I've longed for this day. I've won it this day. I've clung to this truth against every odd, against every accusation against every doubt i've remained i've abided in him thank you and there is confidence to the one who abides but for those who have played the game the religious game maybe maybe that's even you this morning you're here and you're going through the motions you can say the words you can repeat back christianese language but your heart is far from God. You're just going through the motions, but your affections, your abiding, is not in Christ. It's in the world. It's in your own accomplishments. We've seen those, what we saw last week, those who were part of it, and then after a while, the pains of life came up and they've walked away. These are people that the congregation at the time had seen Imagine how they will feel when the same event occurs and the cloud parts in Christ descends. It says shame. They will shrink from Him in shame at His coming because they did not abide, because they did not remain. And it will be a moment of grief. They should have known They've heard the words. They even went through the motions. But they didn't abide. Abiding is faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you were to walk out of here today and walking to your car, you see the clouds part, what emotion would you feel in this moment? I think that's kind of a test for us to say, are are we abiding or are we just playing the game? Am I just saying the words? Do I feel like, thank you, Jesus, your return, I've awaited, I've longed. It doesn't mean I've done that perfectly. But the fight is over. Eternity is now. Is there confidence? Is there a joy? Or is there shame and a shrinking? because you know deep down the roots of your life are drinking from something other than Christ. This is the why. Why to abide so that we have confidence when he returns, that what we have trusted in is coming to fruition. But now we see the what. What is it that John is inviting us to abide in? What truth is he inviting our roots to sink deep into? Because the danger is that we just run from here and we say, okay, now I need to try really hard so I have confidence. And that's not at all what John's going to say. There's this invitation of what it means to abide, what we are called to abide in, what I want the roots of your life and heart to sink deep into this morning. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love. This idea of see is a certainty. Like the way that this is, is said uh, elsewhere in the Gospels is when Pilate, after Jesus had been crucified, and he tells the soldiers, go, and, and he says, put the soldiers around he goes, have a guard of soldiers go. Make it as secure as you can. Make it as certain as you can that no one comes in and robs the body. This is the kind of see that it's talking about. That, that you would have a certainty, a security, a certainty that, that God loves you. See, know with certainty the kind of love the Father has has given to us. That's the kind of certainty John wants us to have. Think about this. Because sometimes in the church, the church can either overemphasize God is love and everything's great, or it can be God hates you, go away. Or just trust in Jesus, but God hates you. Like, it can kind of go to either extreme, right? But the truth is profound That because of sin, yes, God's judgment and wrath would be on us. But because of Christ, it is not. Therefore, know with certainty His love that is abundantly poured out on us. Know that. Not just theoretically, not just in passing, but see it with certainty. The kind of love the Father has given to us. And I wonder... What blinds us from seeing the love of God? Because I've talked to many of you, and I know in my own life, it can be hard. We can say this, and I can know it, but to feel the weight of this truth that God truly loves us, like really, it can be hard to, to feel the weight of this truth. And so I think it's worthwhile to take time to think what blinds you from seeing and receiving what God says is true here. I think sometimes we're blinded by ourselves, right? Like we look in the mirror and we're like, if you knew me, like really knew me, like not just my actions, but my thoughts, The things I think about, if you knew my deepest thoughts, if you knew my darkest secrets. See, you love me for who I pretend to be, but not who I really am. And we can feel that way with God. We're blinded by the reflection in the mirror because we're looking at ourselves rather than God. Sometimes we're blinded by our own experiences. To receive love is to actually let down your defenses and let somebody else in. It's vulnerable to actually be loved and to give love. And the reality is, if we're honest, we've opened ourselves up to people who have betrayed that trust. Maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a, a friend, maybe it was someone in authority, but they brought deep wounds and there's hurt there. And to open ourselves up to love, well, I would rather just be protected because that's too vulnerable. It's too unknown. And we project on God the wounds others have caused on us. And we somehow assume that he is not trustworthy because somebody else has broken that trust. And this is why John is saying to them, see, know, understand their situation. They're going through rejection. Friends, people they walked with have walked away. The abandonment, the the rejection, the hurt, it doesn't know what century it is. That is a human condition. And the danger is that bitterness would set in their heart. Walls of protection would go up. And as they hold people at arm's length, they would hold God at arm's length. Because as much as we want to be loved, I just don't know that I can do it. And John's encouragement to those who are hurting, to those who are wounded, is see, know how God has loved us. And how can I know with such certainty, if this is what God wants me to see, how can I see this? What is it of God's love that he wants us to see? That we should be called children of God. Think of this for a moment, that we should be called children of God. And he's going to kind of say it three times. So have you ever like heard something, repeat it? And you're like, I think God's trying to tell me something right? This is one of those moments. What kind of love has God loved us with? I think he's trying to tell us something that we should be called children of God. And so we are look down at verse two, beloved, beloved. We are God's children now, not in the future, not when you're better than you are right now, but if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are his child now. Not a promise of what will be, what is to come. It is a truth today. What does it mean to be his child? I, I took some time, I had to study this because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about being sons. Right? It's a legal term to describe our position in Christ. This is a concept when we think of adoption in the New Testament, what it means to be sons who are adopted. It's talking about our position in the family of God. I think about when my wife and I, we adopted one of our children. And after the adoption was finalized, it was like as part of that with the judge at this This child will have all the rights and privileges of a son. We received it in the mail, a new birth certificate that is as though Kirsten herself gave birth and I am his father. A new social security card. There are legal documents that show that he is our child. His position in our household is that of child. Right? But... The way Paul uses son is slightly different than how John here is using children. One commentary said this, John does not use the term sons, rather he uses here the word children. This is a term that describes origin, birth, relationship, family likeness, and family characteristics. It's similar but different. And here's why I want to... Because I've never considered this before. I just likened it all the same as what it means to be adopted. But there's something unique that we are children of God. It doesn't just speak to our sense of position, but it's identity. It's our sense of belonging in the family. Not just that I'm legally a child, but I belong in the family. There's a, a security... In that belonging, that in Hebrews it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That those who have abandoned, those who have walked away, God is not like that. He is safe, He is present. You belong, you are accepted, your identity. Think of when a child is born, when our, when our granddaughter was born late last year. Like it's not just the legal documents that she's a daughter. What kind of conversations do you have? Oh. Whose nose does she have? Whose eyes? The fingers. Like the one of our children even just last week it made me think about it was like whose fingernails do I have? And they were extremely thankful that they don't have my fingernails that are just like stubby and wide. They're like, "Oh, they had Kirsten's fingernails that are narrow and pretty." Right? It's like, "Thank goodness I don't have your hands." But there's a likeness. Do you see the kind of conversations? That's what John is getting to. That we're children of God. We have his likeness, his characteristics. We reflect who he is. It's not just our legal standing. It's something much more intimate. Something much more reflective. I think about what this has meant when... when as many of you know, my wife and I lived overseas in the way that names worked. So when we were in the Middle East, it, I wasn't just known as Steve. I was Abu Noor. It meant the father of Eleanor. I was known by who I was in relationship to, not just who I am individually. She was known as, as not Ibn, M. M, M Steve. It was this sense of the daughter. Of Steve it's a weird but you're known in who you're in relationship to not just who we are by ourselves it's hard for us to get our mind around but when it says we're children of God it's like this is who you are this is your name you are a child of God you are a daughter of God you are a son of God this is who you are do you feel the difference what he's getting at you can know his love Because you are His children, and you're His children now, not just future. Think about why this matters. Because this is what I was wrestling with this week. Like, okay, this is true. Who cares? One of the greatest questions you can ask. Like, okay, wonderful, great biblical truth. Who really cares? What's the implication? Well, in reality, this should change the way we see ourselves and the way we see others and the way we handle rejection, I think are all being dealt with in this passage. Like, how do you see yourself? Because sometimes we think too much of ourselves, sometimes we think too little of ourselves, and the problem with both is we're looking at ourselves. We get in our own way, and it blinds us from seeing and knowing with certainty how God sees us. Because all we can see is our faults, for some. Some, all they can see is their faults. Others, they only wanna look at their successes. I tend to be on the critical side, and I only see what needs improvement, what needs to be better, what needs to be different. And sometimes all I can see is what I would criticize. And sometimes then we project our past hurt and distrust Into my feelings now, how others have failed, and it blinds me from seeing who God is in His faithfulness and in His love. There's an implication of saying, See how God has loved you. You are a child of God now. But think of what this means and how you see others. Like, think of the person in this room, outside of this room another believer who you just don't quite get along with, not that that would ever happen, but if it were to happen, and there's like that personality thing, right? And you don't quite get along, and bitterness can grow in your heart towards them. And then all of a sudden, if you think of their name, and then you put a comma, and you say a daughter in the family of God, who was loved so much that when that person was taken hostage by sin, the Father in heaven was willing to ransom the life of Jesus Christ to free them from that sin, to purchase their freedom as a daughter. Now, how are you going to treat them? Is it different? Because I think what happens is when someone hurts us, it's easy to vilify. It's easy to project this person of they're this or they're that. And we build them up into something that we feel like justifies our animosity towards them. But then when that gets broken down and you're like, well, let me say who they really are. This is a daughter of God. This is a son in the family of God. I'm probably going to interact a little bit different. Because this is what John is getting at throughout 1 John is because God is light, because God is love, we are called to reflect his light and love in the world and to one another. And it also speaks to how we handle rejection, the hurts, the abandonment, that we should be called children. I think the danger is when we feel rejection from the world, from anyone, it does not mean that we are orphaned and alone, because he gets specific with this. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Remember I said last week that in 1 John, John very much is leaning on the gospel of John 14, 15, 16, and 17. In John 15, <clears throat> Jesus says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do you see how the themes are parallel? In chapter 2, it was like, don't just give yourselves to the desires of the world, but abide in Christ. And if you abide in Christ, people will reject you, but you belong in the family. We see this parallel through and through, that when we experience rejection, when people push away, there's a counter to our hearts and the hurts and the wounds that say, are we going to just take root in that bitterness and those wounds or are we going to allow the roots to abide in Christ, to drink in full of His love that has declared us children because of Christ? That that is what's true. And there's a tension. There's a tension here that, that even John addresses. If you look in chapter 3, verse 2, beloved We are God's children now. Again, this is a present reality. Today, this is what's true. And what will be has not yet appeared. Do you feel that tension? There was like, yes, this is true now. And I'm perfect now. Not yet. (laughs) Right? We feel this already, not yet, tension throughout the Bible played out here. Jonathan Edwards said this grace is glory begun in glory is grace completed I should have had this up on the screen because it's so deep just to think through what it means grace is glory begun by God's grace in the death and resurrection of Christ glory has begun I am now a child of God this is true now In glory is grace completed. And when Christ returns in glory, and I see Him face to face in full glory, the grace that He was faithful to start in me, He will bring to completion because of Him. From beginning to end, who we are now and who we are becoming. And so it ends in verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. I want us to just think about this as we begin to close. Everyone who thus hopes in God. that Again, hope isn't just this wishful thinking. It's not like, hey, we're going to a restaurant for lunch after church and I really hope there's not a long wait. Right? It's not that kind of hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation because God has promised it to be true. And God has never reneged on one of his promises. He has been faithful throughout all time. And so when he promises this, there is this confident expectation that what he promised will be true, that it is true now. I am a child of God now. And what He has begun in me, He will bring about to completion. When I see Him face to face, in His perfection, I will be made free from the presence of sin. No more brokenness. No more sin. This is what pure means. It means free from all contamination. No sin, no faults, no dirt, no blemish, no error, no regret. It is all perfected, when we stand before Jesus face to face, when he comes and we can be with confident assurance in him who I've abided, in my brokenness, in my failure, in my doubts, in him who I've abided, I can now in confidence approach, knowing that what he began in me will be perfected. And again, the thought crosses my mind. Who cares? Like there's something there that I was like, what does it mean? Where do we strive? Where do we long that this truth somehow remains disconnected? Because I think if we're honest, I'm, I'm presuming here, that we all struggle to believe that we are now truly children of God. There can be a sense, I know this, I know this in my brain, but do I experience this in my heart that I am a son, that that is my identity, that you are a son or daughter in the family of God? There's doubts that cause that to be a wrestle. And then I look in the mirror and I see that I'm not the man I want to be. There are aspects where I still see where I'm wanting. I still see where Christ's character is not perfectly reflected in me. And I want to to grow, I want to see that become more fully. But when I lose sight of this, I can strive, I can perform, because I desire to be better than who I am. And the danger is this, that in our belonging and in our becoming, we look to ourselves That when I look in the mirror, all I see is myself, and I no longer see what's true and what God has declared true about me, what is true now. I define myself by my failures rather than my Savior. And when I look to who I want to become, all I can think about is how I need to do better, to try harder. To do more. To be more patient, more kind, more loving. Hope in God brings us back to the abiding. That I'm not struggling for a place to find my identity. I have it now in Christ. This changes My striving, it changes how I see myself. And when I see my failures, and when I see my faults, where is my hope? In my performance and trying harder, or am I coming back to abiding? When you see your lack, when you see your want, when you see the areas you still need to grove, how will you approach growth? Because this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is where it comes back around. Abide. Drink from the living waters. Be renewed. That's the invitation. And everyone who thus hopes in God, that is how you will be purified. This is how you will be perfected. This is how you will be transformed in Christ. So there's these three statements in closing. Hope in God produces the transformation we desire. Let that sink in for a moment. The reality. Hope in God produces the transformation we desire. Do you want to be more patient, more kind, more loving? More gentle, more joyful. Hope in God. Abide in God. It allows us to become who God has created us to be. Are you striving or are you resting? As you examine your heart, are, are you striving for a place to belong? Striving for acceptance that is already freely yours? Striving for a place where you feel like you belong when you already belong? As children of God, where are you seeking approval? From others? from yourself. Wanting that the encouragement of hey, you belong here. Hey, this is who you are. When that's not something we need to find in others because we already have it in Christ. Our belonging, our hope, our identity. It's all in Him. And I feel like the invitation here is to rest that everything we long for in the deepest searches of who am I and where do I belong is satisfied in Christ. And so let us abide together in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, there's an awareness I have in my own heart of these words, the difference between them being spoken, believed, and felt feels like there can be a distance (laughs) between them. I pray for those this morning who are growing in their understanding of who they are in Christ of what it means to place their faith and trust in You. Of who they are, Lord, I pray, would be a foundation beneath their feet as they grow in the depth of understanding of what You say is true. Lord, I pray for those who know these truths but struggle to experience them to feel them, to see them, Lord, as your word says in this passage. Lord, I pray that you would help them to discern where their eyes are blinded from seeing and experiencing the beauty of these truths. Help the light of your truth to pierce through past hurts and wounds that would blind them from seeing the safe, an eternal nature of your love that there can be that vulnerability before you because we know that you will never leave, never abandon. Lord, let those truths meet the deepest broken places of our lives. Lord, be glorified. Let there be a growing confidence within us as we abide in you awaiting your return. And in Jesus' name, amen.